Thank you for being at the 1130 service of the Hills Church, North Richland Hills campus. And thank all of you that watch us online every week. And I want to say that I'm grateful that last week I got more feedback to my sermon than any sermon I have preached this year. I don't think it's because it was a great sermon. I think it's because it was a timely subject. We're asking the question, how can we live better in Babylon? How can we hold on to our deeply held convictions without giving in, pulling away, or pushing back? How can we be people that stand with and for God without being obnoxious? Is there a better way to live in Babylon? Because we are living in a culture that increasingly is not just apathetic to the things of God, but hostile to the things of God. And so I know there were some intriguing conversations last week, especially in our community groups. And so every week I'm going to prepare a set of questions so that you can continue to process what I'm teaching in your community group and with your family. So go to the uh, leader resource page or the sermon page on our website and download those questions. And let's keep this conversation going. Now, we're calling this a search for a better way to live in Babylon, a life hack. And if you weren't here last time, a life hack is simply when we creatively and resourcefully find a solution to a problem. We do this all the time. Let me give you some examples. The first life hack is for the men. Do you have a cramped garage and you are tired of opening your car door and hitting the wall and chipping the paint? Here's what you do. Go get a pool noodle, fix it to your wall. You open the door of your car. No paint is chipped. That's a life hack. Now that one was for the guys. This one is for the girls. Have you ever lost an earring? Well, come to think of it, this one could be for the guys too. Have you ever lost an earring and you don't know how to find it? But do you have a vacuum and a stocking? Here's what you do. You put the stocking over the vacuum. You turn it on. You catch your earring without it getting sucked into the vacuum. Life hack. Or do you get tired of making your bagel sandwich to take to work and it gets smushed by all the other things in the sack? Do you have an old CD spindle? Here's what you do. Fix your sandwich. Put it inside the CD spindle. And you got a sandwich that looks just right. Life hack. Or... Does your car not have a cup holder? Well, that won't do in Texas. Do you have an old tennis shoe? Here's what you do. Put it in the floor. Cup holder. (laughs) Life hack. Because what is the point of owning a car if you can't drive through Whataburger? Amen? Okay, so I got to thinking I would like to author a life hack. I would like to come up with a creative, innovative solution to an everyday problem. And then it dawned on me. I know a lot of people have trouble going to sleep. You deal with some insomnia. And it hit me. What if they pretended they were at church? So here's what you do. You lay down. You download some of my sermons on your phone. You turn on the sermon. Within two minutes, you are out. Life hack. Here's the reality. It doesn't matter how much money or power you have. You can't guarantee a good night's sleep. 
And that's where our story of Daniel picks up. You'll remember Daniel and his friends were taken in the first deportation of exiles. They were made eunuchs. And they were trained and educated to serve in the council of wise men to King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon. And for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to call him Neb because it's a lot easier to say. So the story starts in chapter 2, verse 1, that in the second year of his reign, Neb had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. Now understand that in their culture, divine wisdom came through dreams. You receive messages from the gods through dreams. So to have a dream and to not know what it meant would be very troubling. And notice how God is trying to reach Neb. Because God's a missionary. And when you're a missionary, you learn the language of your culture. So God is going to use dreams to speak Neb's language and get Neb's attention. And so Neb woke up and he went to his council of wise men. And the next verse says he asked his magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what his dream was and what it meant. And they were totally caught off guard. Because they said, oh, we're happy to tell you what the dream means. You just tell me what it is. And Neb said, no, I want to find it if you're legit. If you really know your stuff, you tell me what the dream was. They said, nobody can do that. And Neb, because he's got all power and he's got a temper, totally overreacts and says, you're terminated. I mean, literally. Look at what it says. The king was so angry and furious, he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now, they had nothing to do with the whole business of the first conversation. Here's why. You see, they didn't dabble in the occult. The reason that those enchanters and magicians didn't know what the king dreamed is you can't get right answers by going to the wrong source. Now, some of you deal with tarot cards. You dabble with psychics. You read your horoscope. Listen. That's the world of the demonic. And the devil cannot tell you the mind of God. And you cannot find truth by going to the father of lies. So Daniel did not associate with those enchanters and sorcerers, but he's about to be lumped in with them with the execution order. Once again... He is caught in the backwash of the consequences of somebody else's iniquity. But read the whole chapter and you'll see that once again, he stays calm. He uses tact. He speaks with respect. And he asked if the king could give him time. And then he and his friends go ask the king of kings to give them wisdom. And by the way, that's a great thing to do when you're in a crisis get with friends and pray to God that's one reason why we want all of you to be in a community group because there's going to be a time in Babylon when you're overwhelmed and you need to get with friends and together you need to get on your knees and that's what they did 
And so it says that during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Now, it's interesting to me that as soon as he got the revelation that would save his life, instead of running to Neb, he runs to God. I would have been tempted first to go save my life and then have prayer time. But Daniel praises God first. And notice, in the middle of the story, not at the end. He doesn't wait to see how this is going to turn out. In fact, we're going to see later that what God revealed to him could, in fact, make Neb even more angry. But that doesn't matter. Daniel had asked God for revelation. And when he got it, he thanked God. Because Daniel is an incredibly humble servant of God. And what Daniel can teach us when you live in Babylon is that if you can remember that God is in control and he deserves our first allegiance, you can keep your fear in control. And that's why Daniel is never going to point to himself. This would have been an easy time for Daniel to go to the king and say, hey, the rest of those guys are imposters. Why don't you kill all them? And spare me. But Daniel is going to try to save the lives even of the men who do what he thinks is detestable. So he goes to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and he said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream. For him. So once again, we see Daniel holding his convictions without holding in contempt the people of his culture that do not hold his convictions. Boy, we need to learn this. To live in Babylon, we can hold on to our convictions deeply without holding in contempt the people who don't hold our convictions. He's going to try to save their lives because he knows that any insight he has is not because he's better than them. It's because he's experienced the kindness and the mercy of God. And so once again, he's going to serve God in Babylon and he's going to serve Babylon for God. So they bring Daniel into Neb's throne room. It says, the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. Underline this, but there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. And when you believe that there is a God in heaven, it changes everything. 
Babylon can be a tough place. It's a wicked place. Every day you turn on the news and you read the paper. And once again you are reminded that Babylon is far from God. But you don't survive in Babylon by focusing on the greatness of the wickedness and sin in Babylon. You survive in Babylon by focusing on the greatness and the mercy and the power and the wisdom of God. There is a God in heaven. And humble Daniel remembers that. And that gave him the courage then to give a very humbling message to the king. So he comes in and he says, Neb, to show you I'm legit, I don't come just with the interpretation. I am going to tell you what you dreamed. So he says, your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And Daniel goes on to explain what this dream means. And he says, Neb, the God of heaven is giving you insight into the future regarding coming world empires. And so the artists have tried to render what this statue might have looked like. And it consists of four kinds of metals. And we know the top, the head was of gold, and we know what it stands for. Because Daniel said, Neb, you're the head of gold. You're a mighty power right now because God has given you this place. You're the head of gold. But he says, after you is going to come another kingdom, not as strong as yours. And we know it was the Medo-Persian Empire. In fact, it showed up at the end of the book of Daniel. After that kingdom, Daniel says, another kingdom is going to come. We know that was the Greek Empire. And after that, a final kingdom, strong and ruthless, that we know is the Roman Empire came. Now, he goes and talks some about the toes, and there's a thousand interpretations of what the toes stand for. You can read it for yourself. But here's what we know, no matter how you interpret the dream. What Daniel is saying is absolutely stunning. He's saying, Neb, the future belongs to the God of Israel, the King of Kings. You know those people you conquered? You know those Jewish people that you have taken captive? Their God decides the future, not you. Now that is amazing. Because what do world leaders obsess about? It doesn't matter if they're kings or dictators or prime ministers or presidents. All world leaders obsess about their place in history. What is history going to say about me? What will my legacy be? So Daniel stands before Neb and says, Neb, 
You are where you are because of my God's decision. And right now, you're the man. You're a big man. But you're only a small part of God's plan. And you are going to spend your whole life building an empire that will not last. Because, Neb, you're just part of the statue. You are not the rock. Wow. That's pretty bold. And I'm sure Neb's thinking, well, what's the rock? So Daniel goes on. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. And so he says, God is going to set up a kingdom, and it's not going to depend on human power. It doesn't need human hands. That is the kingdom that will survive, not yours. And it's going to come up during that fourth empire. He's talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom that was inaugurated when God appeared in the flesh, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember what the angel said to Mary when he announced her upcoming pregnancy? He said in Luke 1, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now do you get what I mean when I say Daniel praised God in the middle of the story? Because he has no idea how Neb is going to respond to what he's just told him. Neb overreacts. Neb has a temper. Neb can say, I'll show you who's in charge and have Daniel killed. But it's more important to Daniel to honor God than to bow in the presence of someone that thinks they're important. You see, when you live in Babylon, you've got to learn how to be courageous without being obnoxious. And Daniel was courageous, and he honored his God. And in fact, his courageous honesty was actually a gift to Neb and to the Babylonians. And so it says, then King Neb fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. And the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. One of the neat undercurrents in the book of Daniel is that God is chasing Neb. We're going to see it in weeks to come. 
Don't think because of what Neb said that he's come to God. But don't think that God isn't going to stop coming after Neb. But that is a story for another time. What I want us to do in the rest of our time is unpack how this story can help us live well in Babylon. Here's three takeaways. Number one, real faith is not developed in a vacuum. Life in exile demands trust, and trust is developed by the trials of exile. I know it's hard to live in Babylon. Wouldn't it be easier if everyone just believed like us and thought like us, lived like us? But the reality is that while Babylon is far from God, Babylon is a good place for us to get closer to God. It is in Babylon that faith goes deep and grows. The problem is a lot of us, we want the end of the story. We don't want the middle. We want to see how it's all going to turn out and then decide if we're going to honor God. Uh, You've probably never heard of a guy named Greg Creed. He's the CEO of Yum. And Yum is the parent company of Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And I read an interesting article in a business journal that last fall, Greg Creed, concerned about declining sales in Pizza Hut, got his senior team together and put them in a room and said, don't come out until you come up with a new strategy to improve sales for Pizza Hut. They stayed there for nine hours and they came out with a new strategy. Easy beats better. They said, for a long time, we've been trying to sell our pizza by saying our pizza is better than their pizza. But that doesn't work in this culture anymore. This is the Uber car culture. This culture doesn't want quality. This culture wants convenience. And so from now on, we're not going to promote better. We're going to sell easy. And that might work for pizza. But that doesn't work for faith. You will not survive Babylon if you want easy faith. If you choose convenience over obedience, your faith will not last in Babylon. But remember, Babylon will not last either. That's takeaway number two. The future is not for kings to decide. I know this is an election year. And I know that those of you that have a steady diet of the political talk shows are constantly upset and anxious. And you're afraid the future is up for grabs. No, it isn't. The future belongs to God, and He's got a firm grip on it. So it is important that as believers, we do not get all worked up by the announcements and the boasts and the agenda of the self-important. In the whole Bible, there's only one time where God laughs. You want to see what it is, don't you? Psalm chapter 2. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, 
Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. In other words, we will decide the future. No one else. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. What did Daniel pray? He deposes kings and raises others up. Didn't we learn this in history class? What is the story of men? Kingdom rise, kingdom fall. Kingdom rise, kingdom fall. Kingdom rise, kingdom fall. That's what human empires do. Some of you are old enough to remember the name of Charles Colson. He was a senior member of the Nixon White House. He was indicted for his part in the Watergate crimes, eventually came to, prison, uh, came to Christ while he was in prison. And later, he was in Rome, and he was visiting the ruins of the Roman Forum. And while there, the thought dawned on him that when he worked in the White House, right across the hall from the Oval Office, every morning at 8, Secretary of State Henry Kissinger would sit around a shiny mahogany table with this team, and he would say, the decisions we are going to make today will shape the future of the world. And Colson said, we really believed it. We really believed that we were deciding the future of the world, just like those senators in their flowing togas 2,000 years ago believed they were shaping the future of the world, and now their forum is just a tourist stop. And will it be 2,000 years or 200 before they say the same thing about the Roosevelt Room? The kingdoms of the world go by in purple and in gold. They rise, they triumph, and they die. And all their tale is told. Only one kingdom is divine. One banner triumphs still. Its king a servant. And its sign a cross upon a hill. And if you are worried about the future, maybe you're putting too much hope in a statue. You see, here's the big life hack today. If we're going to survive Babylon, our foundation is not shaken because it's built on the rock. Would y'all put it on your seatbelts and let me preach for just a little bit? From a worldly perspective, wouldn't you say the other metals in that vision are more valuable than a rock? Wouldn't you want to invest in gold or silver? But from a heavenly perspective, the rock was more valuable because only the rock was durable. The rock of ages lasts because it doesn't depend on human hands. It doesn't depend on human power and human strength and human economy and human politics and human agenda. And if we are going to thrive in Babylon, We've got to start putting our hope in the rock and not in the statue. Now, I love my country. I'm proud to be an American. I do not wrap our flag around the cross 
And I do not think that what's best for America is God's ideal and that God needs America to accomplish his purpose. The rock doesn't need the statue's help. (laughs) Military strength is not the rock. Political power is not the rock. Economic wealth and might is not the rock. And calm and courage come when we put our hope in the rock and not in the latest version of the statue. And didn't Jesus tell us, seek first the kingdom of God? Now, if you're a football fan, You might remember one of the most popular teams in NFL history, the 1986 Chicago Bears. They won the Super Bowl with a cast of crazy characters, including their outspoken coach, Mike Ditka, their wild partying quarterback, Jim McMahon, and William the Refrigerator Perry, all 344 pounds of muscle and athleticism. Their chaplain was a man named John Cassis. He tells a wonderful story about being in chapel one day, and Ditka is speaking, and he nods to the man they call the fridge, and says, when I'm through, I want you to lead the team in the Lord's Prayer. And immediately, you see panic come over Fridge's face. And McMahon starts to snicker, and says to John Cassis, I'll bet Fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And Fridge is over there, sweat coming down his face. And Cassius says, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. And McMahon says, I'll bet you 50 bucks he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And later Cassius says, now how weird is that, that we're in chapel betting over whether someone knows a prayer. (laughs) And Ditka finally finishes speaking and nods to Fridge. And William Perry, after a very long pause, bows his head and says, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And Cassus felt a tap on his shoulder, and it was McMahon handing him $50, saying, I didn't think he knew the Lord's Prayer. And I don't expect Babylonians to know the Lord's Prayer. But I do expect us to know it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And our friends need our witness. A witness that is compromised when we fret so much about the statue that they don't want to listen to what we say about the rock. Don't lose your joy and your courage. And your hope because of a statue. The kingdom of God rocks on. The Hebrew writer says, 
since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. It's unshakable. It's forever. And God will have His way. The kingdom of God rocks on. And we can too. Even in Babylon. So pray with me. So Father, help us to open our hearts and our minds to receive this word today. May our witness be accompanied by joy, by courage, by faith. Because we have put our hope in the rock. Because we're building our lives on the kingdom of God. May we seek it first. And Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let me ask you all to stand. If you're on our prayer team, would you take your places upstairs and downstairs? We're going to offer you the gift of prayer, the gift of encouragement. This would be a wonderful time for you to come and be baptized into Jesus. Because remember, our hope is not in a statue. It's in a cornerstone. Let's worship.